It's time for mystery. Mystery Radio. William Gargan stars as Barry Craig, confidential investigator. The old saying, early to rise, folks, can't possibly mean a thing to a corpse. Your Pontiac dealer presents William Gargan in another transcribed drama of mystery and adventure with America's number one detective, Barry Craig, confidential investigator. Barry Craig speaking. The trick in continuing on as a confidential investigator is to keep on good terms with the police. Comes time for your license renewal, and a department sawhead can louse it up for you. Play footsie with a corpse, conceal evidence, rack up as many black marks as you must, but be sure you've got a friend somewhere in the higher echelons. I say like a lieutenant willing to countersign your renewal application, where it reads character references. Ah, the fool that I am, Craig, endorsing your application. Your signature goes down here, Trav. No blotting now. Right neat. Certifying you as a man of good character. However, will I atone for the perjury? The guilt get too much for you. I can refer you to a high bridge. Okay, I've signed. You're free to harass and otherwise misuse and abuse me for 12 more months. I'm looking forward to it, chum. I'd start in right away if I had a case. Oh, don't tell me the great man's idle. One meal away from pouring my badge. Unless you've got an idea. I get the hint. Even if I could, why should I throw anything your way? Because you hate seeing me fall dead from hunger. So what case did you have in mind? Two cases. You even have a choice. Both of them prefer a confidential operative to official police methods, official notoriety. I was asked to recommend someone. I'm all ears. Case one. A Mrs. Cora Talbot wants help in finding her husband, Stanley Talbot. Talbot's been missing more than six years. What's her motive in looking for him now? Oh, a last-ditch search. She's about lost hope that he'll ever return. She wants to petition to have him declared legally dead so she can remarry. Interesting? How big a fee? Twenty dollars a day in expenses. Kind of anemic. It's all the lady can afford. Is it no? What's my alternative? A publisher named Hillary Grayson. He ran a best first novel contest, $50,000 to the winner. And? The prize-winning manuscript was stolen. Very mysteriously. What's it worth to Grayson to get the manuscript back? A flat $2,000. So, which of the two has you seething with a desire to see justice done? Well, I don't want to be mercenary. Ah, then you'll accept Mrs. Cora Talbot. I'll call and tell her. Call and tell publisher Grayson. It's not on account of the higher tab, the... Fact is, I've been a long time wanting to raise my cultural level. The publisher, Grayson, had more body than any one guy needed. Three sets of jowls and thick eyeglasses. Looking into his eyes was like watching fish in an aquarium bowl. Get that manuscript back, Mr. Craig. Spare no effort or expense. If the manuscript isn't recovered, I'll be the jackass of the publishing world. I, I, Hold on a minute, Grayson. You're forgetting I don't know what it's all about. I just got here. Yes. I suppose I should give you the facts. It would be helpful. The prize-winning book manuscript, The Cry of the Hyena, by Eric Trent, was stolen right out of my office. That's bad? Catastrophic. It was the only copy in existence. The author has no carbon duplicate. How come? Writers usually make copies. Usual writers usually do. But this is no usual writer. This is Eric Trent. Yeah, here's his photograph. Oh, I get what you mean by this one not being usual. Does he always wear chin whiskers? Yes. Trent's a brilliant eccentric. A man who's roamed every corner of the world. A wanderer who wrote one page here, another page there. Six years in the writing and more than a thousand pages. And no carbon. First prize was $50,000? Yes. 
Were there other awards? One other. $5,000, a second prize. Won by? Oscar Sachs for his novel, Four Devils and a Midget. Oh, this is a photograph of Oscar Sachs. This one's clean-shaven. Uh, can I talk out of turn, or are you the sensitive type? Ask me whatever you like. $55,000 in prize money. Isn't that a lot of cabbage for a... For, for a, a small publisher? Your offices haven't exactly got that mahogany and chromium look. The prize money doesn't really come from me. It doesn't? An independent motion picture company, Pyramid Pictures. They pay the prizes in exchange for world rights to film the book. Any more questions? Yes. How many offices are there in this suite? Six. Why do you ask that? I'm already in there pitching for you. That intercommunications box on your desk. Is every office equipped with one? Yes, of course, but I don't... The box is switched on, as you'll notice. It's been on through this whole talk we've just had. Who in the Grayson Publishing House would be interested in uh, uh, long-range eavesdropping? I don't know. Suppose I find out. But I didn't find out. The eavesdropper resented my curiosity with all his might. An inkwell pitched at me. Ladies and gentlemen, have you driven a great new 1952 Pontiac? Until you do, you cannot possibly appreciate what Pontiac's dual-range performance really means. Only with your own hands on the wheel, your own foot on the accelerator of a Pontiac, can you know what it means to select with a flick of a finger exactly the power you want. Tremendous get-up-and-go in traffic, or smooth, easy-going, gas-saving cruising on the open road. The great new Pontiac gives you this kind of performance because Pontiac has, for the first time, combined the three essentials of top-flight performance in one great car. First, a terrific high-compression Pontiac engine. Second, the wonderful new General Motors dual-range hydromatic drive. Third, Pontiac's new high-performance economy axle. It's this great powertrain which makes dual-range performance giving you exactly the power you want, when you want it, where you want it. Remember, only the new Pontiac has dual-range performance. Only your Pontiac dealer can show you this engineering masterpiece. Before you consider any new car, be sure you visit your nearest Pontiac dealer. See the new Pontiac. Drive it yourself. You won't be very many miles down the road before you heartily agree that dollar for dollar... You can't beat a Pontiac. And now, back to Barry Craig. My eyes opened on Grayson, sprinkling water on me with a sponge. You're all right. Quit watering me. I'm not a petunia, Bed. But you were unconscious. I'm conscious now, and you're ruining my suit. It's ruined anyhow. The ink from the inkwell. Don't tell me. Red ink yet. My fee's gone up, Grayson. Up. Two thousand plus forty-nine seventy-five. The price of this suit. A while later, on the street outside the Grayson offices, a motorist tooted me over. A long hair driving a sky-blue-pink jalopy. I let him pick me up. You paging me, friend? Yes, I, I'd like to talk to you. What about? Uh, if you'll get in, we can go somewhere. I'll buy you a drink. Oh, buttermilk. There's a buttermilk bar over on 8th Avenue. <laughs> Buttermilk Bar, we had a chat for the books. I'm Oscar Sachs. I know that. I saw that photograph of you in the Grayson Publishing offices. Oh. Well, there's some facts about the book contest I think you should know. Why? Why? You, you've been engaged by Mr. Grayson to locate Trent's missing manuscript. What am I wearing? A sandwich sign? I obtained the information through sources I cannot disclose. Give me those facts. I won the second prize of $5,000, but I was cheated. Cheated out of the big money, is it? Yes. Explain, please. The contest rules clearly specified that the award was to be made only to an American author. And? 
I have reason to believe Eric Trent is an Englishman, or anyhow other than an American. Uh, to put it bluntly, a fake who should be disqualified. Disqualified while you're moved up to first place and $50,000? Yes. Let's have your bill of particulars. Well, for one thing, Trent's way of talk. It's as English as the House of Parliament. Uh, another thing, Trent was somewhere overseas on a tramp island in English possession when he sent the manuscript in. That summarizes it? Well, there's more. Trent has a tattoo on his right arm. I happen to get a good look at it. It's a tattoo of the British flag. Would an American wear the British flag on his arm? You tell me Benedict Arnold did. You really ought to grab yourself 50 Gs. Well, why do you find that so odd, Craig? Just that I thought artists had no money sent. Well, I have, and I'm not apologizing for it. Okay, I've got your point of view, Oscar. Oh, yes, one little thing remains. Hold out your hands. Uh, hold out do my... Do what Papa asks. Red ink smudges on your right thumb. You've been playing with inkwells, Sonny. Well, Craig, I didn't mean... Uh-uh, don't apologize. Fun's fun. And I like to play myself. My interest runs to sugar balls. Oh, Craig, no! No! Eric Trent's address, furnished me by Grayson, was a rickety studio walk-up. Seventh Heaven in Bohemia, Greenwich Village. The door opened on a blonde who eyed you as if she was already counting your money. Hiya. Hello. This is 6D, isn't it? That's what it says on the door. It's my astigmatism. Is Eric Trent in? No, but I am. Baby, I'm not a gentleman caller. So whose tough luck would you call it? Come in. Trent said for you to wait if you simply had to see him. Trent expected me? Yeah. That Mr. Grayson, the publisher, he phoned and said you might be over. You're Barry Craig, the detective, he said. A Barry Craig, confidential investigator. I'm Judy. Judy Joy. Well, come on in. I won't bite you. I was waiting for you to make that promise. I live right next door in 6E. I come in here to play the radio. Mine's out of order. Oh. That's Bummy Fiegelspan's orchestra you're hearing. Oh. It's on every day this hour. Mm-hmm. I get simply dilapidated if I miss hearing Bummy. Uh, come again. Did you say dilapidated? Yeah. Dilapidated, like frazzled. You know, fractured. Or were you correcting me on the word? Oh, no, no. Eric's always correcting me on the word. Imagine me keeping company with a real live author type. Sure I can. I can even imagine 50,000 reasons. Huh? What'd you say? Oh, there's Eric now. Eric? Ah, oh, Judy. On the sofa's Barry Craig, the investigator. I've been keeping him here for you. Thank you, Judy. Now, if you leave us alone. Sure. I've got a slip to press anyhow. Nice meeting you, Mr. Craig. I was floored myself. Excuse me while I shut off the musical background. Now, Mr. Craig, the object of this visit? Your stolen brainchild, what else? But what can I do about it? I submitted it in good order. I'm not responsible for its disappearance. How come only one copy? Why didn't you type up a carbon duplicate? I have no patience with purely clerical details. I'm an artist. But the full risk of losing the one copy. I'm a man who takes risks, Craig. In my years abroad, away from America, I've lived a life of risks. Skip the personal build-up. Whenever I went, I traveled lightly. Suit on my back, pipe tobacco, and a pencil. It was enough of a nuisance carting one copy of a thousand pages around. And how was I to know my confounded book would ever get to a publisher, much less win a prize? Okay for that. What's your, uh, guess on the missing manuscript? Grayson. What motive? A stunt. Grayson intends exploiting this whole affair for all the publicity he can wring out of it. It's an angle. The 50,000. Would you say you, uh, won it legitimately? Legitimately? I mean, uh, what if you were to be disqualified as the first prize winner, say on a technicality? What? technicality. Not actually being of American origin, as the contest rules specify. But I am an American. With a British accent? <laughs> I spent years in the islands, in Jamaica and British Somaliland. I'm told you have a tattoo of the British flag on your right arm. So? 
Then I sailed the seven seas, and like a sailor, I had myself decorated with tattoos. But the British flag on an American citizen. Ah, wait until I open my shirt. There. Are you looking at the tattoo on my chest, Mr. Craig? Yeah, the American eagle. What do you know? Expand your chest, genius. Expand my... I want to see old Baldy flap his wings. The first break in the case developed over the phone. I was in my office, soaking my feet. Barry Craig speaking. Craig, this is Grayson. What gives? It's about the stolen manuscript. Listen carefully. Shoot. A hoodlum named Mike Kelsey got in touch with me. He admitted to stealing the manuscript. Why did he? A mistake, he says. He was under the impression that it was valuable. A rare manuscript. <laughs> Believe that. He wants to return it now and no questions asked. How much loot is he after? $1,000. It's paying ransom, compounding a felony. I must have the manuscript back, Craig. I told him to negotiate the transfer through you. You're representing me in the matter. Where's the thousand? I'm sending the money over to you with cash by messenger. You're to meet this Mike Kelsey in the tavern. The flying horse. Craig, be discreet. Sure. Sure, I'll be discreet. The cash came by messenger okay. And I got to negotiate in the flying horse tavern. A mug with heavy artillery bulging his coat, waiting at a table for me. You Mike Kelsey? No, I'm, uh, McGuire. I'm here for Mike. Hey, you're negotiating for Grayson, so I'm here negotiating for Mike Kelsey. Now, let's negotiate without any monkey business, Craig. Why a gun under both armpits, Buster? So as I don't develop a stoop on one side? Oh. Now, here's your manuscript. Right in the wrapping, Mike Kelsey found it in. Now, count me out a fast grand. Yeah, $1,000. Count it yourself. It seems okay. Hey, don't be stupid enough to stop me from leaving. The publisher, Grayson, was out. Would I please call later, a secretary told me. I'd gone back to my office to cool my heels for a while when the phone rang. Barry Craig speaking. Craig, this is Oscar Sachs. Now watch your beef. Craig, I've discovered something I think you'll want to know. Something that will promote you into the 50 G's? Something that won't help Eric Trent any. Craig, the man's a fraud. You're playing a cracked record, Junior. Am I? Come hear me out and then tell me that. All right, I'll come hear you out. As soon as I dry my feet and rustle up a change of socks... I didn't get to hear Sax out. To achieve that, I'd first have to perfect a way of communicating with the dead. I left Oscar Sax as I found him, sprawled backwards over a writer's desk, a knife standing vertically in his Adam's apple. I left him as is, so Lieutenant Trav Rogers wouldn't howl to heaven and the D.A. that I'd once more tampered with a corpse. Grayson drooled with joy supreme over the recovered manuscript. This is a load off my mind, Craig. A big load. But it solves nothing. Who stole it and why? And why was Sachs murdered between the time he phoned me and the time I got to his flat? I'll show you the manuscript, Grayson, and then I've got a question. Here. Examine it and then tell me. Is this the same manuscript that was stolen? The same? Why, sure it is. The Cry of the Hyena by Eric Trent. Examine the manuscript, not just the title page. Study a few sample pages. Yeah. It's the same. You'll swear to that? On a stack? No. No, I won't swear. You've detected something? Some changes? Yes. I think yes. For one thing, this copy is cleaner. The edges of the pages aren't so ragged from handling. As you remember them to have been. Yes, even the title page looks altered now. I remember a burn here in the upper right corner near the author's name. A burn like 
from an accidental cigarette ash. I'm convinced. This isn't the copy that was stolen. But what can it mean? I aim to find out. Grayson. Yes? Phone Eric Trent. Get him to come here to your office on some pretext. But why? So I can have the run of his studio without Trent being the wiser or being present. Eric Trent had all the accumulated junk of a guy with a passion for changing climates. Souvenirs from Bombay, the Dutch Indies, Labrador. Souvenirs in brass, carved ivory, porcelain. And in the bottom bureau drawer, a manuscript. The Cry of the Hyena, with a cigarette burn on the title page. Eric Trent had stolen his own manuscript. I had the evidence in hand, but keeping it wasn't going to be so simple. A lady was against it. A lady healed with a gun twice the size of her dainty lotioned hand. Miss Judy Joy. Yes, Mr. Craig. Miss Judy Joy. Through the, uh, convenient connecting door? I heard noises in here, and I made it just in time to catch a burglar. Drop that manuscript. You charmed me into it. Want a word of advice, beautiful? No. I thought you would. Ring off Eric Trent as fast as you can flick your glamorous eyebrows. You're crazy. Being true to Trent's an awful waste of war paint now. What are you trying to tell me? That Trent's value on the hoof has just been slashed by about $50,000. He... You won't get the money? Neither will you get the money. You're a liar. The Dutch uncle. I'd hate to see you dragging your gorgeous chassis up the river Sundays visiting ye author in the big house. Pour me a drink. Still making with the gun? Aimed at your head while we wait for Eric. The stuff's on that coffee table there. The soda bottle's right alongside it. Okay, I'll play bartender. Say when. When? How much soda? Just a squirt. That's enough. Spot more, huh? Just enough to dampen your spirits? Had enough? She's no good. Low down. <laughs> we held an all-night session. Me, Lieutenant Trav Rogers, and Grayson, comparing the two manuscripts page for page. It was early dawn before I found a discrepancy between the two versions. You found something, Craig? Yes, Trav. A Cora Lane disappeared from the substituted version. Who's Cora Lane? Tell him, Grayson. Cora Lane is a character who appears early in the novel. A woman the hero meets and falls in love with. She's in version one. She's out of version two. Now, why would the author go to all the trouble he did? Submitting a manuscript and then stealing it back just to write a character out of the book. Because the name Cora Lane means something. Something he didn't want found out. Means what? Coraline was a character, say, uh, drawn from real life. She's a real name, a real person somewhere. Excuse me, Mr. Craig. They're saying that Trent only realized it when it was almost too late to make the change. One thing's pretty clear to me, Grayson. Eric Trent didn't write the book. Somebody else did. Who would you say did write the book, Craig? The hero of the story is my guess. Stanley Fields. Only that name is probably an invention, or Eric Trent would have changed it. It figures the book is an autobiographic work. A man's true personal history disguised as fiction. The personal history of someone Trent stole the manuscript from. Someone now dead, or Trent would never have dared to try for the big prize. Tram? Yes. Arrest Eric Trent. Book him for the murder of Oscar Sachs. You're sure? Sachs tumbled to some of the truth, and Trent shut him up. Trent was also behind the Mike Kelsey red herring. That was a trick to throw dust in our eyes. Arrest Trent, Lieutenant. And when that little chore's over, check police files and directories for a Cora Lane. Go to it, Trav. On this one, I'm making you a gift to the headlines. Ladies and gentlemen, when a great reporter wants to get the inside story of a great new car, he gives it a thorough test run. 
That's exactly what John Daly did with the new Pontiac. Here he is to tell you some of the outstanding facts of the new 1952 Pontiac and its spectacular dual-range performance. This is John Daly to tell you about a great advancement in automobile performance, the great new 1952 Pontiac with spectacular new dual-range performance. A number of factors contribute to this sensational new kind of driving. Pontiac has combined a powerful high-compression engine, new dual-range hydromatic drive, and high-performance economy axle into an amazing powertrain that gives you tailor-made performance. At the touch of a finger, you can have tremendous acceleration and get up and go for any occasion. With equal ease, you can choose a different type of performance, quiet, economical cruising for the open road. Drive the new 1952 Pontiac with dual-range performance on display at your Pontiac dealer now. It's spectacular new proof, the dollar-for-dollar dollar you can't beat a Pontiac. The great new 1952 Pontiac with dual-range performance is on display now at your nearest Pontiac dealer. See it. Drive it as soon as you can. And now, back to Barry Craig. <laughs> It took two days for Trav to get back to me. When he did, he had a lady with him. A gray lady with haunted eyes. This is Cora Lane, Craig. Cora Lane, Barry Craig. Mr. Craig. How do you do? How did you find her, Trav? Police files. The name of Cora Lane appeared on an old record card. She reported her husband missing some years back. Stanley, my husband. He left one morning, never returned. I was frightened, I... I imagined him injured, a traffic victim. I didn't know then that my husband had planned to just disappear. That he couldn't live in my world. That he had so much wanderlust. Her husband was the Stanley in the book. The author of it, as you theorize, Craig. Your husband was a writer? Yes. A writer all through him. Foolish, wild, irresponsible. And wonderful, too. Is he dead? Tell her, child. Yes, he's dead. Oh. According to Eric Kunt's confession, your husband died of a tropical disease somewhere in the Pacific. Eric Trent was a drifter your late husband had taken up with. An odd thing, Craig. What odd thing? I offered you one of two cases the other day. Why bring that up now? You took one, but you solved both. Uh, what? Cora Lane is the maiden name of Mrs. Stanley Talbot. Mrs. Cora Talbot. Not the $20 a day in expenses deal I passed up. Yes. As it turned out, you found her missing husband. Mm, a great lady, Trav, and all-around loser. Her life hasn't been good. Her life needs fixing. Mrs. Talbot? Yes, Mr. Craig. We're taking a ride, you and me. A ride? Across town. You've been poor, but now you're rich. That book of your husband's, The Cry of the Hyena, is $50,000 coming to you. And I'm going to stand over Grayson while he makes out that check. Good night, folks. See you next week. And now... Another mystery on Mystery Radio X, X, X. Mystery is my hobby. Today's story took place last fall. Paul Arno, the lifelong friend of mine, called me on the phone to report a murder. At the moment, Paul was unaware that only a few hours previously, his wife, Brenda, had had an unexpected caller. Yes? Hello, Pop. Now, don't tell me you're the great Paul Arnold. I beg your pardon? Look here, you can't come bursting in this way. Who are you, anyway? I asked you first, Pop. Who are you? I'm Robert, Mr. Arnold Butler. But... <laughs> well, what do you know? Toots did all right for herself. Toots? Sure, Toots. You mean you never heard of Toots? No, naturally not. There's no one here by that name. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Whoa. Toots would like... Tommy. 
could. Well, I'll be a cross-eyed lizard. Say, if you ain't Tony, the pretty... Tony, please. Huh? What's the matter? Tony, we're not alone. Oh. Oh. Oh, I, I get it. <laughs> it's Nibs there, I tell you, old man. If this person is annoying you, Mrs. Arnold, No, no, I... it, it's quite all right, Robert. You may go. But, madam... You may go, Robert. Very well, madam. Well, what do you know? Kutch, you've done that like a lady. Yes, sir, you've done it just like a lady. I am a lady, Tony. Huh? <laughs> a lady, eh? <laughs> now, wait a minute, Kutch. Take it easy. <laughs> this is Tony Irwin you're talking to. Remember? When did you get out, Tony? Oh. So that's it, huh? I got you worried, eh, baby? Oh, oh, no, You're Tony, thinking no, that I'm sore because I come home and find you married to this pantyweight. Uh... And why should you be sore, Tony? That's what I was saying to the boys just this morning. The boys? Yeah. Some of the boys said, uh, Tony, you ought to be sore at foot, they said. But why, Tony, why? That's what I told them. Why? I says, how did Toots know that I was going to get sprung after only doing a couple of years? Tony, please. Double cross? <laughs> no, sir. I laughed at him. Why, I says, Toots wouldn't double cross nobody. I didn't double cross you, Tony. Sure, sure, sure you didn't. That's what I'm saying, baby. You wouldn't double cross nobody. I'm glad you feel that way, Tony. You bet. <laughs> baby, I'm proud of you. <laughs> you got class. I uh, always figured you'd make the grade if you got the break. Yes, Tony? I ain't like some guys. Some of them boys... <laughs> you know what they wanted me to do? What? <laughs> Take that Chuck Pizarro, for instance. <laughs> There's a character. Oh, what did Chuck say? Why, he says, look, Tony, don't be a dope. Puts us in a chip, he says. Look, he says, she used to be your girl, didn't she? Okay, do one up and clip her for a few hundred bucks. <laughs> She'll never miss it, he says. And what did you say, Tony? Nothing doing, I told him. Not me. I ain't that kind of a guy, see? Thank you, Tony. I ain't that kind of a guy, I says, who'd stool on a friend. Not even if she, uh, did double-cross me. Tony, I didn't. So what if Toots would pay off to keep me from telling about the weekend we spent together? Tony, that's not so. <laughs> Sure, 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 it ain't. <laughs> yeah, but the thing is, this Paul Arnold don't know it ain't so. What do you mean? Well, it's like this, baby. Suppose this Paul Arnold was told you used to be a birdie, you dancer. Oh, Tony, you wouldn't. Suppose he got to know about you and Jerry the Duke in that nightclub raid. Oh, Tony, please. Suppose he told and was told about you and me and I showed him some pictures. Paul wouldn't believe you. He'd throw you out of the house. The way I figure it, baby, Arnold could check them things. He'd find they was true. Then... What I mentioned about that weekend... Stop it, Tony. Stop it. <laughs> uh, what's the matter, baby? What do you want, Tony? Want? Me? <laughs> not a thing, baby. Not a thing. Yes, you do. What is it? Baby, you got me all wrong. You know, I wouldn't put the bite on you for nothing. Of course, since it's uh, getting along towards Christmas. Oh, I see. Very well, Tony. I'll... Give you a Christmas present. Ah, swell, baby. Swell. Wait. The safe is over here behind these curtains. I'll I'll be back in a minute. No, you don't. I'll just go along, too, huh? Maybe you got some ideas about uh telephoning? Hey. Huh. <laughs> this is a kind of a cute idea, ain't it? Go back where you were, Tony. I'll look Yeah, 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 yeah. Kind of a cute idea. Big, heavy curtains hanging on the wall, just like there wasn't this little alcove behind them. If you think I'm going to open this safe with you watching me, you're crazy. Yeah, kind of cozy, too. Just big enough for us, too. Tony. Tony, don't look at me like come that. Come here. Tony, you just keep your hands off Come me. here, come here. <laughs> just us, too. Oh, like I used to be, huh? Come here. Take it easy, baby. Take it easy. Maybe we can make another deal. What's that? There's someone... Hey, who turned off the lights? Yes, Drake speaking. Hello, Bart. This is Paul Arnold. Paul Arnold. Well, well, Paul. It's good to hear your voice. How are you? Right now, I'm not so good, Bart. Hmm? There's a dead man lying in my living room with a bullet through his heart. What? Yeah, he was murdered. Murdered? How do you know? him and my butler was standing in the doorway and saw it. My sister was in the hall and heard of him. And by the way, there's a guy 
guy here named Danton who was accused practically everyone of making it happen. Danton? Not Inspector Noah Danton. That's the guy. Know him? <laughs> yes, slightly. Tell the inspector, Paul, that you talked to me and I'm uh, on my way out. And don't worry about him. Uh, the old boy's bark is worse than his bite. <laughs> Hello, Bart. Hello, Inspector. Come on in. Thank you. I'm waiting for you. You got my message, huh? No, Inspector. What message? What message? Didn't the babe call you? What babe? Arnold's sister. I was busy and I asked her to get in touch with you. I thought she did. I'm sorry, Inspector. I haven't heard a female voice in a matter of hours, Whistler. Oh, no? Then how'd you know about this murder? How do you happen to be here? Paul Arnold called me. Arnold? Why, that... Hey, what do you think he's getting away with? Hello, Mark. Glad to see you. I'm glad to see you, Paul. It's been a long time. More than a year. I've been in the service, you know. Yes, I certainly do know. <laughs> Wasn't I at your going away party? <laughs> what a time. Uh, pardon me for interrupting. You two gents don't happen to know each other, do you? Paul and I are old friends, Inspector. We've known each other for years. We were roommates in college, Inspector. Well, isn't that sweet? Unless somebody thinks up some excuses mighty fast, somebody's going to be cellmates in Sing Sing. Now, look... Always the man of duty, eh, Inspector? By the way, have you identified the corpse? Sure, it was a punk named Tony Irwin. He was doing a stretch for Grand Larson and got let off for good behavior. I see. And what was Tony Irwin doing here? Well, obviously, his motive was robbery. His body was found lying near the wall safe. Yeah, and there was a gun lying beside him with one bullet discharged. Look, Bart. Come over here. Yes, Inspector. Better come along, Paul. Yes, I think I'd better. Your friend, the Inspector, has ideas. (laughs) And I can guarantee you'll have a lot more before we get much farther in this case. Yes, Inspector? You see these portiers hanging against the wall? Yes, yes, I see. Look like decorations, don't they? Hmm, yes, they do. Okay, now I swing them out like this on that crane they're hung on, and what do you see? Well, well, a dead man on the floor, a gun beside him, and a small safe fitted into a sort of an alcove. That's right. Now, when I got here a couple hours ago, things looked exactly as they do now. Well, and what have you been doing for the past two hours, Inspector? What have I been doing? I've been lining up the suspects. I've been waiting for you. I've been looking for... All right, Inspector. All right. Now, who are your suspects? Well, Mrs. Arnold admits being right here when it happened. Now, just a minute, Inspector. Brenda didn't do this. You can't Keep say... your shirt on, Bob. I didn't say she did it. I only said she was a suspect. How did Brenda happen to be here, Paul? Well, she came into the room and saw a movement behind the curtain and decided to investigate. Mm-hmm. What happened? With Tony, whatever his name is, was tinkering with a safe. Just as Brenda looked behind the curtain, the lights went out. There was a shot. Brenda screamed and ran out of the room. That's her story. Now, look here, Dan. Never mind, Paul. The inspector sounds much worse than he means to. Oh, is that so? Inspector, now... have you checked the fingerprints on the guns? That's being done now. Hmm. How about the safe? What about the safe? Well, uh, if Mrs. Arnold were telling the truth, as you seem to doubt, Inspector, Tony's prints would be on the safe. Huh. That's right, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, uh, I'll have the boys check. Good. And uh, tell me, who are your other suspects? Roberts the butler, for one. Why? He claims he heard Mrs. Arnold talking with someone in here. Just as he opened the door, the lights went off. Robert says he saw someone standing near the door to the hall across the room. Then the shot came. Hmm. Did Robert see where the shots came from? Yep. He says the guy that was standing near the other door fired it. But he didn't recognize the other party. No. He only got a glimpse. Inspector, why do you suspect Robert? Because he must have been lying. That gun right there is the one that killed Irwin. Oh, you're sure of that, Inspector? Sure, I'm sure. You know, I don't make idle statements, Bart. <laughs> no. <clears throat> Whom else do you suspect? Arnold's sister, Agatha. Oh, that's ridiculous. Aggie's so scared of firearms, she won't even look at one. Yeah? And why didn't she call Drake when I asked her to? I'll tell you why, bub. She's a guilty party, and she knew that if Drake got on the job, he'd prove she was guilty. Inspector, let's not make idle statements, remember? Paul, it looks to me as though you're the only one that's in the clear in this case. Yes, and I'm sure I wouldn't be if I hadn't happened to be on a plane coming back from Boston at the time the murder was committed. Oh. That checks. I called the airport. A Paul Arnold left on the plane that took off from Boston at 6.30 p.m. He couldn't have gotten here before 9 o'clock, and the murder took place at 7.30 p.m. Well, thanks for that much, anyhow. Don't mention it, Bub. We always aim to please. And stop calling me Bub. Bart, it seems to me your friend, the inspector, is determined to make a complicated plot out of a purely simple case. Yeah, well, Bart, it seems to me that your friend, Bub Arnold, is talking out of turn. What's simple about it, Bub? Well, anyone with any sense wouldn't ask. This man, Irwin, is the next convict. Send up for larceny. Obviously, he came here with the idea of robbing my safe. Okay, so then what happened? We already know what happened. Someone shot him. See what I mean, Bart? Everybody wants to get into the act. <laughs> I'm sorry, Paul. The inspector is right. Fine. Why Tony Irwin is here is unimportant. Somebody murdered him. It's the inspector's job to find out who. Okay, I guess you're right. 
The only thing that we're sure of is that you're not the guilty party because you were on that plane. Well, Brenda isn't guilty either. I appreciate how you feel, Paul, but still the inspector... I beg your pardon, sir. Yes, Robert, what is it? Uh, there's a Mr. Harrison on the phone, sir. He'd like to talk to you. Harrison? I don't know any Harrison. What's he want? Well, he said something about a ticket. A... Oh, oh, yes. Of course, I... I'll talk to him, Robert. Very good, sir. If you'll pick up the extension... No, I'll take it in the library... Excuse me, Bart. I'll be back in a minute. Take your time, Paul. No hurry. Harrison, he doesn't know him. Inspector, what are you doing? I'm listening in on that conversation over this extension telephone. Inspector, gentlemen, don't do that sort of thing. I'm not a gentleman. I'm a cop. Well, at least keep your hand over the mouthpiece. I've got my hand over the mouthpiece. Ah. Something interesting, Inspector? Yes, something very interesting. Well, I'll be... Well, Inspector. But... How good a friend of yours is this Paul Arnold? Why, the best. I've known him for years. Think he's on the up and up, eh? Yes, yes, I gamble on That's too bad. Why? But I hate to tell you this. Arnold wasn't on the plane. What do you mean, he wasn't on the plane? That guy Harrison that Arnold was talking to, he used the plane ticket that Arnold bought. He just called to thank Arnold. But Paul Arnold was here in New York at the time Tony Irwin was murdered. <laughs> I'm leaving you, Paul. Leaving me? Why? Because I... Because I think it'll be best for both of us. Oh, then, then you've stopped loving me. Oh, no, Paul. Well, what else am I to think? Well, I'm not very proud of my past, Paul. Among other things, I... I was a dancer in a burlesque show. And you're ashamed of it. Oh, no, no, I'm not ashamed. I, I did nothing to be ashamed then of. Then why? Because... Because I met you, Paul. Because I fell in love with you. Because... Because I wanted so desperately to have you love me. And I knew that, that Paul Darnell could only fall in love with a lady. He did. What? I said, Paul Arnold did fall in love with a lady. You're oh, that to, lady. Oh, trying to be kind. You're pitying me. I can't stand pity. No, I. No, no, look, Brenda, listen to me. I've known for the last three months about, well, about your past. You, you've known? Yes, yeah, sure. Tony Irwin called on me. He told me all about you, even threatened blackmail. And you didn't believe him? Well, I found that everything he told me was true. But why didn't you tell me? Paul? Why should I worry the girl I love with something that was completely unimportant? Oh, Paul. Oh, there, there, you poor kid. Give me Carl. Hold me close. Oh, darling, what a fool I've been. No such thing. I should have warned you. Irwin waited until things quieted down, then tried his blackmailing stunt on you. That's why I didn't go to Boston. I was worried. You... You didn't go to Boston? No. At the last minute, I had a hunch. I gave my ticket to a man named Harrison at the airport. In fact, he just called me on the phone to thank me. Then... Then you were here when... When, when Irwin was shot? Yeah. I came in the back way just as the shot was fired. But you didn't... Shoot sure, Irwin? <laughs> no, darling. I didn't get the chance. Someone beat me to it. Paul, listen to me. Does Barton Drake know that you weren't on the plane? No, why? Then you've got to tell him, Paul. If he finds out that you were lying... Nonsense. Let Bart have his fun. But it isn't only Drake, Paul. It's it's Inspector Danson. Oh, Paul, can't you understand how important this is? Drake's clever. He might prove that that you... Brenda, you don't think that I... (laughs) Oh, darling. Come here to me. Listen, Bart's my best friend. Don't worry about him. And even if I did kill Tony Irwin... I've got the best alibi in the world. Look, Bart. Hmm? When are you going to give up and admit that your friend Arnold is the guy we want? Why should I, Inspector? Why should I, he asked. Because all the evidence we've uncovered points to his guilt, that's why. What evidence, Inspector? Now, look, Bart, I'm a patient man. You know that. Yes. Paul Arnold had a motive. He wasn't on that plane and... And we're keeping that knowledge to ourselves, Inspector. I don't want Paul ever to suspect that we broke his alibi. Oh, you don't? This isn't a game, you know, Bart. Just because the guy's a good friend of yours. What other evidence we've appointed to Paul's guilt, Inspector? His sister knows we were... He he was here, for one thing. Mm -hmm. I just talked to her. She admits that 
That's why she didn't do as I asked and called you. Because she thought that Paul had shot Irwin? Hmm? Sure. She didn't want to see her own brother go to the chair. Oh, in fact, that's weak. Very weak. Oh, yeah? Well, there's the gun lying beside the court. From which the fingerprints have been carefully wiped. So far, you haven't mentioned anything that would stand up in court. Okay, okay. How about the fact that no fingerprints were found on the safe? Mm, Yes, that proves that Mrs. Arnold was lying, doesn't it? She just said she stepped around the curtain and saw Irwin tinkering with the safe. Yeah, but if you just let me talk to... You want to see me, sir? Yes, Robert. Will you ask Mr. and Mrs. Arnold to step down here, please? Yes. Thank you. Now, Inspector, what was it that you were about to say? I was going to say, if you just let me talk to Arnold, I... <laughs> You'd sweat it out of me, Inspector. Well, how are you going to find out if a man is guilty if you don't ask him any questions? Well, you'll get your chance to ask questions in a very few minutes, Inspector. I will? Mm-hmm. As soon as Paul and Brenda get here, I'm going to have the crime reenacted. That ought to be fun. I can hardly wait. Now, let's not be sarcastic, Inspector. Why not only... Hello, Paul. Brenda. Come in, please. Bart, uh, Brenda and I have just had a little talk. There's something we want to tell you. I'm sorry, Paul, but that'll have to wait. There's something more important to do now. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. If the guy wants to talk, let him. It's really quite important, Mr. King. I'm sure it is, Brenda, but it'll still have to wait. Inspector, will you ask Roberts to step in here, please? Now, listen, Byron. And, Inspector, will you also ask Paul's sister, Agatha, to stand in the doorway to the dining room? That's where she claimed she was when the shot was fired, wasn't it? Sure, but... Fine. Hurry along, Inspector. We'll have everything ready by the time you get back. Okay, okay. Only I'm more used to giving orders than taking. <laughs> now, Brenda, if you stand over there near the curtains in the exact spot where you were when the light went out, please. I will. Only if you'll listen to what Paul has to say. I'm sorry. What Paul has to say, we'll have to wait. Now, wait a minute, Bart. This may change your whole outlook on the situation. I'm sorry, that's impossible, too, Paul. Listen, I appeal to you. If Brenda won't cooperate, He'll I... cooperate if he wants a doggone rude. I'm sorry. There are times when a man in my position has to appear rude. Not to my wife, you don't. Whose wife it is doesn't matter. It does in this case. Now, listen, All Bart. right, Robbie, inside. Uh, just a minute, Inspector Denton. Pipe down, Gramp, and do as you're told. Denton, take your hands off, Robert. He's done nothing. Well, now, what's happened to the big, happy family I left a few minutes ago? Never mind the wisecracks, chum. Bart, I thought you were a friend of mine. Friendship ceases when murder's involved, Paul. Now listen to me, all of you. You're going to do as I say, or Inspector Danton will take the three of you down to headquarters and lock you up. Now you're talking my language, Bart, old boy. Uh, So this is when I get when I ask a friend to help me out. Oh, what's the use, Paul? If this is the kind of person Bart and Drake is, and what we have to say won't matter anymore. Brenda, you're 100% right. All right, all right. If it's going to make you any happier, what do you want us to do? Thank you, Paul. Brenda, will you uh, stand over near the curtains, please? Yes, all right. This is where I was when the shot was fired. Fine. And where was Owen standing? Directly in front of the safe. Hmm. How were the curtains arranged? Well, they they were halfway open. About like this. Thank you. Stay there, please. Now, Robert, if you'll just stand uh, here in front of this door. I beg your pardon, sir. Yes? It it wasn't near this door that I was standing when I saw the shot fired. It was over there near the library door. Yes, I remember your thing. So, however, if you don't mind, I prefer that you stand here. Now, look here, Bart. If you think that Roberts had anything to do with Irwin's killing, you're crazy. He's been with me for years. We'll go into that later, Paul. Inspector, where's Paul's sister, Agatha? She's out in our hall, near the dining room door, bored. Look here, sir. If it were Miss Agatha, I mean, the dining room door is right behind where I'm standing. I I mean... Well, what do you mean, Roberts? Are you implying that Agatha murdered Tony Irwin? Oh, no, sir. Of course not. Then keep quiet. Say, everyone's getting mad at everyone, aren't they? Mm. Paul, will you go over and stand near the door to the library, please? Okay. So now I'm standing here. What am I supposed to do? Look over towards the curtains. Can you see Brenda standing behind them? Sure, I can. They're half open. Excellent. All right, Robert. Tony Irwin was supposedly standing in front of the safe, farther back in behind the curtains, when you stepped into the room. Is that correct? Uh, yes, that's correct. Mm-hmm. Now, Robert, I want you to raise your hand as though you had a gun in it. Point it in the manner you claim to have seen the figure point it and fire. Yes, sir. Uh, the figure was standing here. He aimed deliberately. Good heavens. Well, Robert. You, you tricked me. The guy he has got a gun in his hand. Hey, don't turn off the light. Look out, Agatha, he's coming at you. <laughs> Where's he go, Inspector? Through this door. Come on. Right. It's Agatha. He's holding her in front of him. Hand back or I'll shoot. All right. Look out, Inspector. You'll hit the girl. Help me, brother. All right, Robert. you got one chance. That does it. <laughs> you blundering. 
Something idiot just hit Agatha. No, I didn't. I hit Robert. Nice work, Inspector. Come on. Agatha. Agatha, are you all right? Yes, yeah, he's dead, lady. Inspector Danton never misses. So you knew all the time that it was Roberts, how about it? No, no, I, uh, I only suspected. The thing that puzzled me is the fact that he had no particular motive. But he did have a motive, Mr. Drake. Oh? Robert knew that Carl and I were happy. He apparently overheard my conversation with Tony Irwin and realized that our happiness was being jeopardized. Roberts has been in our family for years. He was just being loyal. You know, I, I wish somehow we could repay the debt. Well, I think Roberts would feel repaid if he knew how things had turned out. Yes, I, I suppose you're right. Oh, Carl. Oh, now, now, darling. Can I say something? Yes, of course you can, Inspector. All I want to know is, how did you know that Roberts was it? Well, well that's a fair enough question, Inspector. Roberts said he glimpsed a figure standing in the doorway that led to the hall. He said he saw that figure take deliberate aim and fire. I get it. Anyone standing in the doorway leading to the hall couldn't see the two people standing behind the curtain. Ah, that's right, Inspector. Robert, standing in the doorway of the library, could see them plainly. So he assumed that the figure could see them, too. Uh-huh. And uh, how did you know that uh, this figure just didn't fire blindly and hit Tony Irwin by mistake? Oh, Inspector, I'm ashamed of you. Because if he had, there would have been a bullet hole in the curtain. Now, wouldn't there? Yeah. <laughs> And there wasn't, was there? No, no, there wasn't. By the way, Paul, what was it that you and Brenda were so anxious to tell me a little while ago? Why, well, but it, it really doesn't matter now. No, it, it isn't important at all. <laughs> As a matter of fact, it, it had something to do with my alibi. But it would kill you if you knew. It would, hey? Uh, but shall we tell him? Absolutely not, Inspector. I told you I'd like Paul to think I me. don't mean that. No, what do you mean? Tell them, you know what? Huh? Maybe they won't think they were so darn smart after all. Oh, I see what you mean, Inspector, yes. Paul, whenever you think of how you put one over on Barton Drake, just remember that mystery is my hobby. Join us again next time on Mystery Radio X.